Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham. I'm your host, joined by Brady Papinga. Uh, and fortunately, Brady, we are able to just talk about football this week. I couldn't be happier. Uh, there's no... There are certainly other excuses to talk rules and all that kind of stuff. We've done a couple weeks of this show. I really want to get on field. I think people are tired of politics, really ready to just get back to ball. So let's dive into it. Uh, one of the sort of thoughts I had is we really reached the midway point here. Half the teams are at midway. and you know, I'm sorry, everyone is now. You, you should have had your bye week by now. Everyone's played their eight games. Uh, so we're in the situation where you kind of can take temperatures of teams. You've got a big slate of games this weekend. I wanted to sort of go through the schedule with you and look at the redeeming values or at least what each team is bringing to the table now that we've seen sort of half of what they are. Uh, I like this idea of, of sort of, you know, going into each of these matchups that we're going to see in this weekend and, and taking a peek at what each has going for them. So what does Team A, what does Team B have going for them? What's the best thing they bring to the table in the event that they could pull this thing off? So we'll just plow through the schedule here and sort of dive into some of the particulars, be quick on each game, but uh, really sort of get a sense of uh, where teams are at this juncture. One of the big games that that sort of hopped out to me uh, right off the bat, and it's in the 1 o'clock group, is this Chiefs-Panthers game. Uh, we'll go Panthers first. This is a Panthers Chiefs game, game in Carolina. Uh, for our, what, what do you, what is the thing that Carolina brings to the table at this point? Well, they're able to run the ball again because they got Jonathan Stewart healthy. Obviously, Cam Newton's doing his thing, and it seems that the refs, if not this week, maybe sometime, are finally going to get uh, the idea that you're going to protect Cam Newton since he get a lot of criticism as of late, especially after this week which I would only imagine helps Cam when he runs the ball as guys are going to be a little bit more calculated. And as you know, if you're thinking and you're trying to adjust yourself as your mid-tackle, sometimes you don't make the most solid hits on guys and they're able to break your tackle, especially if it's a bigger guy like Cam Newton. So that's a positive. That's going to help their defense because that means their defense will defend less plays and we should see an uptick there on both sides of the ball like we saw this last week against the Los Angeles Rams, although that Rams defense is pretty good. Yeah. I think of the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm going to tell you that they are a team that's probably the most underrated team in the NFL because they're 6-2. Nobody's even talking about them. Uh, they, they're a complete team. They do a, I shouldn't say they're like a complete team in the sense they do everything really well. I look at them more like they do things above average. They don't yeah. do one thing at, out, of the, out of the ballpark, but in terms of run defense, playing the uh, running the ball, throwing the ball, special teams, all those kinds of elements of your team that you need to have rolling uh, to the contend they have them going but again they don't think they don't do anything great so they're solid in all those areas and so we'll see if they're able to stymie carolina's passing game and then be able to generate enough points to to win the game yeah so for me i think we're in the same ballpark as you other with with carolina i think their identity is coming back i think that's so important uh, you mentioned the jonathan stewart thing really didn't get a lot done last week as you mentioned against uh, against the rams but i feel like they can be who they should be uh, with the addition of Calvin Benjamin, which we really haven't seen this year. So it's like they get better personnel uh, and then that core personality, which was exceptional defense and then a nice running game. 
it's like one little tick goes away, then the other things that were values aren't there either anymore. But I think they're just right at that point where I think they're going to be competitive on the way out. That said, man, they've dug themselves a hole. But if I were to point to one thing that I think they do really, that they do well now that they weren't doing well earlier, I think the secondary is settling. And again, it might just be because they've had a couple opponents that don't throw the ball particularly well. But I know that was a huge knock just a few weeks ago about, you know, Josh Norman, basically his absence has completely turned this franchise on its head. But I think they're sort of adjusting uh, to who they are and they can still play solid defense. It may not be the dominating defense of a year ago, but I think at least on that side, things have settled enough that the real core thing that they are, the, the super dynamic quarterback, a very strong running game, exceptional tight end, uh, and, and and a wide receiver group that I think that now can start to be highlighted. I think they can get back to who they are because they settled the secondary a little bit. And I'll go on the Chiefs really quickly. I think Justin Houston, who's just been activated, I think Justin getting back in and getting involved, they're going to need that turnover aspect. They're going to need that disruptive play in the backfield kind of stuff because they're nicked up. Uh, Where is at least Spencer Ware at the running back position is at least practicing. I think he's got a chance to get out of concussion protocol. But having Jamal Charles go to IR, you know, having Chuck Hendrick West have a pretty mild game a week ago, and, you know, it looks like Smith is going to play at the quarterback position. But, man, it's a banged-up team. So in the absence of them sort of being who they usually are, getting some disruptors on the other side of the ball I think is a boon to them. They need it now, and I think it gives them a fighting chance. All right, so we'll look down to the next game. Um, in, also in that 1 o'clock slot, uh, the, uh, you have the Saints and Broncos. I think it's just kind of a, a compelling game. Core competencies, or however we want to put it, what's the thing that both of these two teams are doing best right now? Well, obviously with the Saints, their offense is on fire. I mean, this is a team that's led by Drew Brees, and I would say Drew Brees, is if he's not having his best season, he's having one of his best seasons of his career because he's getting very little help from his defense. His quarterback rating is to the roof, by the way, 106.7. And the, the thing that I've been most impressed about with Drew Brees is the fact that this guy, at this late in, this, late in the game, has basically cycled through a whole new set of receivers and is playing with these guys like he's played with them for 10, 15 years. He's on the same page with these guys. I covered them when they played the Atlanta Falcons earlier in the year, and it was interesting to see the uh, rapport and the chemistry that both Drew Brees and Brandon Cooks, uh, I think a third-year player now for the uh, New Orleans Saints, have, yeah. they look like they've been working together for a decade. I mean, it's been impressive with how Drew Brees has gelled with this new cast of characters, and now they're starting to run the ball a little bit better. Their big question mark, as it was this last week against the San Francisco 49ers, again, will be this week is the defense. Can they hold up? Can they at least keep it to where that offense can outscore their opponent if they can do that? Obviously, they'll be in good shape. Yeah, so I'm with you on the sort of what I think it's sort of a slam dunk who the Saints are, and I think they're probably one of those teams that probably wishes they were a little different as far as defensively. It is sort of a hold-on-to-your-ass kind of approach. Uh, but mm-hmm. I've seen that, quite frankly, in, in past years with the Patriots, not just such a severe degree, but when your offense gets to be that prolific, I think it changes the style you have to play on the other side. And if you don't have guys who you know get turnovers every down, then then all of a sudden you know some of those st- statistics get magnified and it looks like there's leaks in the dam, but one of the things that I, I like about Drew Brees' game this year is, is yeah, the distribution. I mean, Ben Watson it, it leaves and goes elsewhere. He's injured, and 
on IR now, but they try to find a little more production at the at the tight end position, which was always such a big deal for them. Jimmy Graham is gone, we know that, but they bring in Kobe Fleener, and it hasn't been gangbusters, but he's had his sort of up and down weeks, but they really look like they've hit on Michael Thomas, a uh, young wide receiver there. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, it isn't always Brandon Cooks, and I think that's probably, if you're in the fantasy world, uh, that can be frustrating because you kind of don't know who their number one is, which is sort of a credit to Drew. Uh, it's sort of week to week. He he distributes the ball. Might be going to Willie Sneed. Might be going to to to, my, to Ingram out of the background or out of the backfield. Hightower has a role week to week. You just never know. But it's almost and again, that's just the lens I look through because it's a market I work in. But it is a little Patriot esque in that there isn't sort of a hey, let's take away X. It really is more about the guy that's sort of driving the bus, and that's that's impressive to me. So on the other side of that, on the other team, uh, which is I think is kind of compelling here from the AFC lens, again, that I have to see things through often, I don't know what's going on with Denver. And it's not – it's to me, if I would have sort of – you know, having to sort of write storylines from across uh, the AFC anyway, not the entire NFL. But Derek Wolf's injury last week, I think he has a hairline fracture in his elbow, might end up being one of the sneaky biggest pieces of news that didn't get a lot of play, uh, but really warrants keeping an eye on where this Denver team goes in, in the next few weeks. I think their their core competency or their, their thing that they're really all about is clearly that defense and turning the ball over and getting themselves into rock fights where they can win things down the stretch, turnover by Von Miller, something like that. But because Tlaib's been banged up and now you lose Derek Wolf, Sylvester Williams has played well alongside of him, but Malik Jackson was no longer there. So this is like they're they're losing too many good players. Some teams can weather it. Can they still be sort of top of? I don't know, man. That's that's sort of something I would worry about with them. But uh, you know, yeah, they need to get their running. They, week, yeah, they just need to get back to being them. Go ahead. Yeah, but the problem was this last week when they played the Raiders. They didn't have a keep to leave. Yep. And for some reason, and maybe it's because of Wade Phillips in the hospital, they ran the exact same schemes, and they were man pressing, putting those quarters out on islands as if they were having guys like to keep to leave out there, and they got exposed right. tremendously. So he's got to adjust his scheme, taking into consideration that he doesn't have the same kind of cover guys out on the edges like he did previously. So he's got to implement some more zone coverages, some more mixed coverages. He's got to be more deceptive. And that's one thing about Wade Phillips that I haven't seen throughout his history. He, you know, and, I, and I don't know if you had a chance to play for him, but guys that I've I talked know. to that played for Wade Phillips, the thing they liked about it was that he was always so simple. It was basically just, you know, line up and play. There wasn't a lot of complexity to his system, and it's been that way with the Broncos. But if you got guys, that doesn't matter. You don't have to try to trick the offense. You know, you don't have to be deceptive. And I think that's the route that they're going to have to go to try to compensate for the loss of a guy like a key to lead. Because if they think they're going to be able to run the same schemes, they already learned this last week against a pretty good team in the Oakland Raiders, it's not going to work. Yeah, they, they've got an uphill climb, and I, I, again, I think it's really one of the, the stories in football to keep an eye on because that could be a contender in the AFC, or they could fall off in the West, and things could go downhill fast, so health obviously matters quite a bit there. Uh, we'll go on to this next game here, also in the 1 o'clock slate, we got Rams-Jets. Uh, this this game is in New York, which I think is huge for the Jets, I think they're they're stumbling a bit, but uh, having sort of sticking to this theme of things that they bring to the table best right now. I'm a, let's put it this way. I think you're sort of at that stage where it's going to be ugly. And I think they sort of know that about themselves. Uh, Fitzpatrick is, is, is gutsy. Uh, he's unrefined. It's not going to be pretty week in week out, but they will be testing sort of his, 
his rapport and what can he sort of pull off in the biggest moment. So if I were to sort of pinpoint what the best thing they have about them is I think they have that savvy, but they've got a roster full of holes, which was a little bit surprising. You know, this, that, 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 that team would be a little weak in the secondary, that that team would, you know, have, well, it looks like leadership issues on the defense side of the ball with Muhammad Wilkerson and, and Sheldon Richardson missing time and missing meetings and not coming to walkthroughs and things like that. That was a little bit surprising, but I guess they're, they're still to me a team that on game day can play down to a team like the Browns and play, you know, play face-to-face with poorer teams. But because of that air quotes moxie i think they can stick with team they're, they're just a team that if you see on their on your record you, you shouldn't overlook them they'll have that quality i think going throughout how do you see these jets well yeah i'm, I'm with you with the jets they are a team that man you don't know what you're going to get from them week weekend week out and that's just because of ryan Fitzpatrick. that guy could go out there and light you up like he did against the bills early in the season or he could get into a streak where he's turning the ball over far more than he's doing anything productive with it. And right. so as the Fitzpatrick goes, the team goes. Now with the Rams, this is a, this has been a mystery with me there, uh, uh, Matt. I, I can't believe they can't find a way to get Todd Gurley going. When you look at uh, Jeff Fisher's history, when you look at what Todd Gurley did this last year, you look at the infrastructure of their backfield in terms of their quarterback position being in flux to try to also – somehow find a way to get your goth into the mix. The only way you can do that, especially with how I would say rigid the scheme is in terms of not really playing to Jared Goff's strengths as we know it. And those strengths that made him appealing to be the first overall pick and for the Rams to give up a lot for his services that they are going to have to rely on their running game. And they haven't been committed to it. They haven't been patient with it, which is beyond me. And then at the same time, it count compounds the mysteries. You got a defense that's playing really good football. So yeah. why not play to your strengths, play to your situation? They're not doing it. I have to throw, honestly, I have to throw it on the coaches. Boris offensively, right. that guy has been so unable to change what he does and to play to their strengths that it, it, week in and week out, it is a hard uh, – it's, it's hard to watch those guys. It's hard to stomach them because you know they aren't even giving their best shot. And, and I know they're all trying hard. What I mean is, is they're not putting their guys – and their best position to succeed offensively. It's, it's, it's unfortunate because they're wasting away phenomenal defensive efforts week in and week out, and that's to me, has to be a frustrating thing, but it seems like it's not frustrating enough for Jeff Fisher to get in and intervene and make it a, make a change, although this week he did say they would like to commit more to talk early, and lo and behold, they're going to be facing one of the top rush defenses in all the NFL in the New York Jets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like the one week where you have – the vulnerability, I'm not sure if they're built to take advantage of it. You know, they've got – I thought one of the weirdest com, uh, contracts this offseason was the extension of Tavon Austin for big money. An exciting player, an interesting player, but somebody who I almost feel like, you know, was like a Antoine Randall L type, you know, from years past. Yeah, like a gimmick guy. Yeah, yeah and, and they are so desperately in need of, uh, of someone who's a reliable down-in, down-out, 
you know, just a refined wide receiver, just the more traditional thing. Having a guy like Tavon is great, but it's like extra asset. It's not like the, the shouldn't, I don't think, be the, sort of the core thing you do. That's got to be girly, like you said, but it's, I, I always I always struggle this when we talk about backs who aren't producing at a high level. It's like like system or like you're talking about sort of just coaching decisions or, or game planning choices and things like that. But I also look at this roster, man, and it's like, you know, Kenny Britt, nice player, has been a good pro throughout his career, but, you know, the idea that he's a one right now is is bizarre. You know, sure. they, they don't get a lot out of their tight end position. It's just, it's just a, there's not a lot over there. I mean, and I, have, I hate to say that. I mean, I'm probably describing pros who are like me, just average players, you know. But it, there's sure. there's not like a... Who are you going to game plan for against this week on that team? And I think ostensibly often the conversations go back to a quarterback. Oh, Case Keenan, that's why they're mild. I don't know. I look on that offense and, yeah, you could upgrade the quarterback position. And I think at some point they got to give Goff, Goff a chance if privately he's he's actually ready. You know, I think that's probably the one factor we don't know. He could be practicing poorly and they know that it's not even safe to put him out there. Who knows? But uh, it's not a strong offensive roster. So back to the idea of what's their strength. Yeah, it's defense. I mean, it, it's they're putting together performances that aren't being rewarded because there's not a lot going on the other side. And I can imagine that's 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 pretty frustrating. So moving on here to a team I think you can knock out of the park. You're going to know this one much better than me, but we'll go Titans-Packers. Uh, so I'll, I'll Start with a quick blurb on Titans, and then you can go Packers. Titans, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, not excited, and not necessarily excited for what I think they're going to do this season. Other, other than the AFC South is 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 again kind of a mess is the wrong word, but it's just uh, it's a, a collection of average teams. Uh, but what I, I like about the Titans is they're sort of junior Carolina of a year ago. They really are starting to come into their own and figure out who they are. They've got two exceptional backs. It uh, looks like Taylor Lewan at the, at the tackle position is coming along much more than where I thought he was a year ago. They look like they and they've got the dynamic quarterback and and Mariota is playing really well right now. Few different uh, unique options at the wide receiver position. It just seems to me like a roster that's coming together. So if I'm I live in the in Nashville, I'm a Tennessee fan. I don't know, you know, it's fun to be a fan and be hopeful of what might come of this season. I My mind would be more on the future. I think that looks like a program that's sort of got building blocks and they've got the right idea with who they're going to be. How do you see them matching up against the Packers, your old team? And, and, and I know they've had ups and downs and there's some, some uh, concerns there, but at least what is their sort of strength and what can they still hang their hat on as they try to put the season back together? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the – I would say the injury to uh, <clears throat> Sammy Shields, their defensive back, yeah. and then also Clay Matthews this last few weeks is starting to catch up to them. Uh, in the secondary, they've been exposed tremendously, not even out of just pure man-to-man matchups, but just execution-wise. The young guys are putting in there aren't even executing the schemes as they're meant to be played, which they're getting burned on, as you know in the NFL. I mean, you give that kind of air, margin of error, that that's big to the quarterback. Any quarterback worth his salt in the NFL is going to exploit you, and that's what's been happening so on and so forth. Their, their run defense also has taken a step back. I don't know what that is. I, I, it's a mystery to me because the guys that were being so stout and solid in the running game in the beginning of the season, most specifically Nick Perry, he's so inconsistent. One, one, one down, he'll be that guy where he'll just set the edge and he'll come off the guy and make a play. And then he'll have three or four downs where he disappears. He's getting blown off the ball. He's catching blocks. The edge is lost. And all of a sudden, they're giving a big chunk plays in the running game. And then the, the secondary guys who are young, you know, they're in there trying to trying to make up for guys like Sammy Shields. 
you know, they're, they're all of a sudden minds start to spin because they're like, oh, man, we're getting burned. Okay, now we're going to start looking in the backfield. We've got to start to get some, some more support. And then that's obviously, uh, you know, some of the critical errors they make in coverage when they're in man-to-man situations. They're staring in the backfield thinking, is this a run? What's going on? Because they're just not getting all of the, uh, the levels, whether that's the front seven, secondary, playing at a high level. And that's costing because their offense is starting to come along. They're starting to get rhythm. They're starting to be able to do some things that they weren't able to at the beginning of the year, especially to get Jordy going, and, and that's even without any healthy running back. That's with putting Ty Montgomery, who's a right. receiver, at the running back position, and they're still running for over 100 yards a game. So they're they're able to like they're they're literally making lemonade with lemons right now, but <laughs> defensively they haven't been able to support that. And so you know when you talk about when we're talking about the Rams defensive performances that have gone unrewarded, well it's the flip side with the Packers. Right. offensive performances that when you look at what they've had, you know, available in terms of players without a running back, they've been able to go do some good things and get things rolling and yet haven't been able to turn those kinds of games into victories because the defense has fallen off so much, mostly, most likely because of injuries. So yeah, to me, it's, this is going to be a battle in the trenches. What, you know, what defense shows up for the Packers in the trenches is going to determine this game because you know what the Titans are going to do. They're going to pound the ball with DeMarco Murray with Henry and they're going to, they're going to see if uh, that Packer defense holds up. And then with Mariota with his touch passes, and he's playing, I, I think, at a, a really high level out of the pocket, although I would like to see them use him more like he was in college, like we see with Cam Newton. Let him use his legs. The guy's a smart guy. He's not going to take on a bunch of direct hits. He's going to be able to be healthy. But, man, you're just adding a whole other level of responsibility for a defense when they're already going to be stressed from that power running game, when now they have to account for – Marcus Mariota being able to run out of the back. So that's the only thing that I'd like to be able to see. But he's been playing some good ball other than that pick six he had last week against yeah, the right. Chargers that cost him the game, basically. But outside of that, I mean, he's been playing as much as – I think as well as everybody would expect for him in his second year. But uh, like I said, this is going to come down to can the Packers stop that running game of the uh, Tennessee Titans. And we've seen the Packers do well with it, but they've fallen off a little bit as of late in terms of their run defense. Yeah, it's one of the more uh, interesting stories, compelling stories, however you want to sort of frame it with with that NFC North because of where we were a month ago. And I think that's why it's probably smart that we talk about the season in quarters as opposed to just halftime because – you know, Minnesota was the hottest team out there. The Packers looked pretty good after a month as well, and and Chicago was a forgotten kind of thing because the roster was just completely decimated. Even even with regardless of what was going on with the quarterback position, defensively they were a hot mess. Uh, and then you just, you know, things seem to have changed. It seems like a division that's sort of on its head now. De- Detroit is all of a sudden kind of plucky, and and they're kind of the darling that could maybe be a backdoor kind of playoff contender. At least I don't know if they're getting <laughs> in, but all of a sudden that that. Uh, that division's uh, like a whole new story, so be fun to watch on the back end. So going on to the next game here, uh, quickly I'll just uh, we'll go Eagles Falcons and just a quick antidote sort of from my point of view on the Falcons. Uh, the thing that I love about them, but that also I think it would be concerning to me uh, if it just looks like the direction of that particular division, the NFC South, is it looks like it's going the way of the Saints which I don't say that intentionally derogatory, but the Falcons are playing such good offense, and the defense had been a little bit improved. But if you just go down sort of the style of game they're getting into, the Falcons are now sort of the team a little like the Saints that 
you you kind of lick your chops offensively. It's like you know what, we're, this might be the week where we can get our passing game going, and that's sort of a a thing you don't want to be tagged with. You know, I know Vic Be- Vic Be- Beasley has been a revelation. He's been doing some nice stuff down there. They have a little better pass rush. There are some improvements on that side of the ball, no question. But if you look at the Bucks, if you look at the Saints, if you look at the Falcons, it, it's three places that can score would have trouble stopping you. And it's just, I'm thinking more interdivisional type stuff. But if you go and you catch Falcon Saints Bucks, those are the teams you could, that you're expecting offensive output different than what you had playing in other divisions. And that's not a good MO. And I, I know a lot of those are really smart, really good, talented defensive coaches in that division, which is so just bizarre to me to see it go that way. But obviously Atlanta has, has a ton of talent. Uh, how about on the other side of the ball with the Eagles? Where, where do they sit now in your mind? Well, you know, Carson, uh, Carson Wentz has been through some ups and downs, you know, against the New York Giants. This last week, I mean, he was facing a defense at Steve Spagnuolo that's going to test a young quarterback. I played in that defense. It's very complicated. It's complex. He loves to disguise blitzes. And, man, he was catching Carson Wentz. And at the end of the game, he was doing all-out blitzes, zero coverage, no safety help, and basically saying, all right, let's let's see you make a really good throw under pressure, under duress, when you probably have to throw it a second or a tenth of a second before you really want to. Let's see if you can do that. He could do it. And, and it was interesting that after the fact, you know, Doug Peterson was basically saying, you know what, I, I'm going to still give him those hard, challenging throws in the face of that kind of defense because this is going to pay off for us down the road. Now, he's going to go from that defense to the complete other end of the spectrum with the Falcons <laughs> to where right. they're not going to pressure. You know, when I, it was interesting when I was doing the Saints-Atlanta uh, Falcons game, I played with Marcelon Manuel, the secondary coach of Atlanta Falcons, and I was talking to him before the game, and I know with Drew Brees, and I've played him, and I've studied film on him, you can trick him, man. He'll throw you some. If you can throw some disguises at him, send him some blitzes where you're showing like you're going to bring pressure on the right, but then you end up dropping it, and you end up bringing overload on the left. He falls for that kind of stuff. And I said, man, you got some up your sleeve. And he's like, oh, we got some stuff. Trust me. I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, let's see what you got here. All they had was a couple coverages. I mean, it wasn't like they had all these fun little blitzes that they're going to go. I mean, they had their, their little changeup was coverage. You know, they're going to just stick with rushing for maybe they'll do a little corner blitz here and there, but they want to sit back in the coverage for whatever reason, and they think that their cover guys are better than your receivers and that they're going to be able to shut you down. That, to me, is an ideal situation for Carson Wentz, especially on the hills of the game where he was so immensely pressured and he was having to decipher blitzes that were very well disguised. He's going to feel like it's seven-on-seven in practice compared to what he was facing this last week. So I see him playing a lot better, uh, being more proficient, and this is going to be a tough game. It's going to be like it has been the last three games. Well, I'm not going to count that Tampa game. last couple games (laughs) for the Falcons where they're just going to have to outscore their opponent. You know, it's going to come down to the final play, and who has the ball last? Like both in the, uh, the San Diego and Green Bay game, and one worked out for them against the Packers and against San Diego, as we all know, in overtime. Uh, which I principally agreed with. He went for fourth and one on his side of the field, talking about Dan Quinn, head coach, uh, Atlanta Falcons, and they didn't get it, which you could say cost them the game. But principally, I agree with that. I like that. Uh, go for it, be aggressive, but it didn't work out for him. So it seems like it's going to be that kind of identity of a game coming up against the Eagles. Gotcha. Now we'll we'll move here ahead to the next game. We'll go Redskins-Vikings, still moving through the 1 o'clock hour there. we got kind of a packed opening Opening salvo here. This is kind of a going to be a fun week, but uh, Redskins Vikings. So uh, we I touched on the Vikings a little bit earlier. I'll stick sort of here from my view on the on the Redskins. What I think they're sort of what they bring to the table that's strongest now. 
losing their left tackle to suspension, I think, is going to be something to obviously keep an eye on because of so many deep threats sort of being what they're has sort of settled into who they are. They've, they've got depth. Pierre Garçon's a good player, but Deshaun Jackson is still kind of a shots guy. He's, he's always been sort of the enigma to me in the NFL at that position where he, he I, he's not been an intermediate game guy enough to where he can move into that upper echelon, but he's someone you absolutely have to respect because he, he can take the top off the defense. But is that still available to you? And I say this, full disclosure, I don't know a ton about the backup left tackle that they're going to have out there. Uh, I can't even say the dude's name, Ty Nishki, Nishki, something like that. But uh, because Trent has been such a, a stable force there on the left side for so long, and because you require some extended pockets to hit those kind of targets, the downfield stuff, and then just to wear people out underneath with Jordan Reed, I'm wondering if that changes a little bit of what they're able to do if they have struggles in the left tackle position. I don't know that. But as far as sort of core strength, Man, Jordan's back. Uh, the depth of talent there with, with Jameson Crowder and Deshaun and Pierre Garcon still being a guy that can be productive. Uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Vernon Davis is, is sort of having a career resurgence. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just an interesting team when you look at I – I didn't come into the 2016 season saying, wow, the quality of depth on that Redskins offense. I mean, that's just not a thought that would have ever occurred to me. But now when you see him on the schedule, it's like, oh. It's not just this guy or that guy. It's they're, they're deep. That's that's impressive. So from you, how about uh, sort of looking at the other side in that particular game? Who strikes you, or what strikes you? Is still what the Vikings have have got going for them, or or more issues? I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, Sam Bradford's the guy right now. I mean, he's got to be able to count for some of the responsibility, the struggles of that offense, and I don't think they've held him accountable. And I do believe that was some of the reason why North Turner said, "I'm out of here, man. Like I can't." I can't do this. You know, I can't sit there and be with a guy. And it's not like Sam Bradford's a guy that's going to deflect any accountability or responsibility for anything. It's just the way he's treated based off of potential. And he's always been treated differently because of potential. And we've seen that he's been paid an immense amount of money. And I know he's one of the last of those baby boomers, you could say, the big contracts that were in those rookie deals. But even for Philadelphia to pay him the kind of money he did, they did, and then for him to get traded to Minnesota, for the, not only the amount of money Minnesota is on the hook to pay, but also for the assets they gave up in exchange for Sam Bradford. It seems like, again, that same mentality is happening to where everybody's looking elsewhere and they're not realizing, you know what, this guy can make a difference even though the offensive line is struggling. But I'll tell you what, when you look at Minnesota, their defense is phenomenal. This is a, and we know that. This is a defense that can carry their team. And one weakness of this Washington Redskins offense, covered them a couple weeks ago when they were in, in England, facing the Cincinnati Bengals is when they don't run the ball well, Kirk Cousins does not do well. When he has to carry the load on that offense, his quarterback rating goes from around 100 all the way down to the mid-80s. He just can't do it. When he's in predictable passing situations, struggles immensely. And we all know the Minnesota Vikings on all levels, these guys know how to defend. They are very good against the run. So if I am Mike Zimmer, I'm going into this game saying, make Kirk Cousins beat us. And they have the guys to do it. They can pressure not only on the outside but inside, force that offense to have to, to win it through the air. And I would say that is where then the advantage sits with the Minnesota Vikings as a team because we know that defense, they've had some downswings, but it's going to cycle back. And it very well could be this week where they cycle back up and have one of those overwhelmingly dominant performances just from the nature and the uh, weaknesses of this Washington Redskins offense, which is they struggle, like I said, especially Kirk, struggles when they aren't able to run the ball. 
Yeah, it's interesting you went there because I've I've read a lot. I'm sorry, as far as the cycling of defensive performances, and, and I think sometimes we get caught up in record, and you, you presume there's some giant step back. It's like you know the, the Vikings were the best defense or one of the best defenses in football for September. That was sort of popular notion, and now the team's losing, so they must be playing so much you know so much worse. Well, I think they lost that complimentary aspect that they had, where, where Bradford looked really good in my mind for that first month, and then as this offensive line sort of went away. I mean, just their injuries completely depleted. Even Jarek McKinnon at the at the running back position where they thought, you know what, hey, Peterson's gone. We're still going to have a different kind of, but still a dynamic guy. Can feed Rudolph uh, at, at, yeah, at, the, at the tight end position. Maybe have another outlet there. Stephon Diggs is coming on. Laquan, Tre- Laquan Treadwell's had no role whatsoever. I think caught his first pass last week, which is a little unusual to go invest that kind of capital and not get a wide receiver at least a little bit involved. But it has been interesting to watch sort of perception change, and it's in large part the the personnel is largely intact for the Vikings. It hasn't been like they've been hit or decimated with injuries themselves, a body here or there, but it's it's largely the same group. So I think people shouldn't be surprised if, like you say, it's sort of those performances they're putting out there starting start to get rewarded if – the complimentary part comes back, but that's the tough one. That's the tough sell. Offensive line, I think Minnesota should probably be a, a sort of a, a petri dish that every every other NFL city looks to and says, "Hey, when things went bad for us, if you want one thing to be stable, keep that offensive line intact, a healthy or yeah. b performing at a high level, and all the other things start to look better." It, when you lose that man, it makes it a little bit difficult, and they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of talent in their backfield. It's sort of more of a plugger kind of approach, and they're you know just not as as, as dynamic in their wide receiver, at least maybe younger. Yeah, so they're just not able to generate. And all of a sudden, people then turn back and say, oh, what's wrong with the, the Vikings defense? I'm like, man, that's the same dudes. Uh, they're still pretty good crew, and they keep now they keep losing games right now where they're giving up a third score. You know, that's th- sitting right around 18, 19, 20 the last few weeks and losses. And unfortunately, because the offense isn't producing, that hasn't been enough. Uh, but don't be surprised if they if they bounce back. But we'll move on here to the next game, and we got to go quickly. Uh, Texans-Jaguars. Uh, I'll give my brief on the Texans. I say don't overlook them. I say I my view on those guys is, and maybe it's a bias on my part because of Billy O'Brien, but I feel they have sort of a they always have a chip on their shoulder, always sort of have an anger that they're being overlooked, and I think in part of they bring that upon themselves because they've had some really embarrassing national TV performances. But I kind of feel like that's a team that will continue to prove, improve as things go on because of sort of. Billy trying to do the, sort of the Belichick thing. He keeps the screws tight on tight on guys. Yeah, they lost some personnel with JJ, but I think they had enough on that defensive side of the ball to still play good B, you know, above average defense yeah. and turn the ball over a little bit to allow them to sort of figure out who they are offensively. I think the leadership on that team, from the head coach to the coaching staff that I know. And watch the way they mix things up defensively. I think it gives them a puncher's chance each and every week. How about you on the other side of the ball? They got those Jaguars, and man, that seems to be a tough, tough sort of uh, nut to crack. What's going on down there in Jacksonville? Yeah, I don't understand it. You know, Blake Bortles. There's been so much talk about the optimism surrounding him and the promise, and we just haven't seen it from him. We haven't seen the productivity. I mean, you'll see it at the end of a game, but right. outside of that, I mean, and he's got weapons. You know, I mean, he's got. Julius Thomas, an acquisition from the Broncos. He's got Alan Hearns, Marcus Lee, Alan Robinson, guys that 
last year were extremely productive. That's where all this optimism in the offseason, because they were like that team. You know, in the offseason where everybody's like, right. oh, this is the team finally that's going to get over the hump, and it hasn't happened. And, and, I mean, unfortunately, when you're Blake Bortles and you perform the way he has up until this point in the season, I'm not talking like when the, the, the game's almost, you know, the game's done and right, uh, right. being outscored by three or four touchdowns. I'm talking in critical moments where they're in it. This guy just hasn't performed. You know, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's. You know, scheme. I don't know if it's all of a sudden the the pressure get to. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those mystery things that just doesn't add up because of the trajectory that he once was on, and he has the guys around him. And so it's just one of these things where you look at this team going, okay. I mean, what do you do? I, I mean, you know, Gus Bradley goes and fires the offensive coordinator. He looked at Buffalo's like, well, that worked for them. Maybe <laughs> you know, it worked for us. It hasn't worked. You know, copycat right. league that we had. And so it, it, then it's just the next conclusion you have to make. It looks like. Although I love Gus Bradley, if I, and if I was making decisions, I would stick with him, to be really honest. But I don't think that's what they're going to do. But yeah. uh, I, I would say if, if if I was pulling the strings, there, I would stick with Gus Bradley, but I would say it's time to move on at our quarterback position and let's go start looking for our, our other guy. And look at, look at these other models, like the Dolphins, like the Cowboys, like the Raiders. Although, you know, both the, the Dolphins, or excuse me, the Cowboys and the Raiders have good quarterbacks. Dolphins, eh, somewhat at the bottom there. Maybe instead of going to look for a new quarterback, you change the identity of your offense. You go look for some big maulers, and you look to just pound the football. You got the backs to do it. I mean, T.J. Yeldon, Chris Ivory, or some hey, Chris Ivory. I don't know if you saw him last week. He trucked right. at Kansas City defensive back. I mean, this guy runs like Marshawn Lynch runs the ball. And so maybe that's the next step you take is you just change the identity of your team because with the optimism. A lot of people at that quarterback position, a lot of people want to take the route of, oh, we could ride him now. He can be like our franchise quarterback, a la Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, when in fact that's just not who they are. And so maybe it's just sort of a resetting of their identity. But I don't see much out of them. And other than being having a surprising game that we all didn't see coming, again, I don't I don't know where uh, they're going to get that productivity in, the, in those crucial moments, and I don't know where, where and how they're going to get over this block that they've uh, been dealing with for so long. Now, Hearns is bang, banged up now. I think he's in concussion protocol. I hope that I have that right. He's got something, but it has been one of those teams where you look and you just read the roster and you say, well, what the hell's going on? <laughs> you know, Allen Robinson, yeah. resurgent you know, guy, yeah. Allen a year ago. You mentioned the two backs in the backfield. Chris Ivory, though, the one thing I'll say about him, he's a highlight reel, but he has a lot of bad runs, too. And I think that's been frustrating watching him as a Jet for years where it's like there's moments where it's like this is the baddest dude in the league, you know. And then there's yeah. other moments where he doesn't get yards where I think yard more yards are available. So he's such a hot, cold guy. And maybe that's in part, you know, fits the M.O. of the team right now. They just have a hard time being a, a consistently productive or productive when it needs it, other than just garbage time, like you mentioned. But, yeah, where things go with that franchise, I don't have the answer. I was a, I'm was i a Gus Bradley fan as well. I'd hate to see it turn that way. I love it when a small school guy, guy comes from North Dakota State and, and gets the big gig. And it's a oh, not it's a low-profile job if there's such a thing in the NFL. But uh, I think Khan is eventually going to want more uh, because – He's got a roster. He's got name value. He's got people buying those jerseys uh, in the pro shop, and uh, they're not yep. producing. Uh, so uh, I, it's 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 going to be difficult not to force change there somehow, some way. Uh, moving on here to the next game, we'll go Bears-Bucks. Uh, Bears-Bucks, to me, is a garbage game, and I'll just simply put it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about who the Bucks are going to be, but I think not this year. I, I think I've seen enough with – with I put them kind of sort of in the same vein of 
of of the the Titans that we talked about earlier. Maybe that's just because I'm I'm doing the quarterback comparison. I, I feel like there are enough core pieces there. I love Mike Evans' game, but then he gets banged up. He's in he's in protocol this week. We don't know if he'll be available. But uh, Doug, the absence of Doug Martin, I think, has really hurt them. I know he's practicing again with the hamstring, but he's had setbacks. He's been up and down. Whether or not he was going to be available. And not having that, it kind of takes you back to Bucks circa 2014, a couple of years ago when, you know, he's having the most productive time. And then you immediately when they're not there, you see a drop off. Turnovers seem to, to, to escalate and they start having other issues. And the defense is okay. It's, it can be okay, but then it can again be in chase mode because of some of the style I think they play in that NFC South. But if I would simply say what I would think the Bucks bring to the table that their strongest thing right now it's sort of core pieces they got core pieces they're gonna maybe gut games out at this point but it's not it's not exciting I think for 2016 but maybe that's just an outsider view how about you on the Bears now that's a roster that's, that's seen some turmoil during the year oh my goodness yeah but I mean it was like when Jay Keller came back he's a new guy I mean this guy <laughs> you know? I couldn't believe it, man. When he came back and he was dropping dives and, I mean, zipping balls into tight windows, he was actually celebrating those throws. I mean, that to me was something I haven't seen out of the guy. And I played against him I don't know how many times. Because generally he's so non-emotional, so indifferent. Playing with a guy like that is very difficult, especially when he's the guy that is always calling the huddle. He's always the guy that everybody's looking at. And when you just got a guy that's, flatline the whole game whether you got a sweet play happening or the game's you know out of hand or whatever and you're just playing poorly it's just it really is a challenge but he's, but he's different he yeah. comes it's almost like he's been re- renewed or something or he's finally figured out you know what maybe i got to take advantage of this because my time's cutting short but that helped them tremendously i mean it, to, get, to get a win against the vikings i mean that, you know obviously <laughs> it was in chicago but man i mean that was a huge win for them for all the limitations that they had, and uh, it shows you that the Cutler has something left in him, you know. And I, and I think when you got a guy playing like that, and he, he's this guy that's the ultimate tease, you know. I mean, he's just literally a guy that he could put a stretch together that would rival any great quarterback in the NFL. I, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's he's a lot like Fitzpatrick in that sense, in consistency. But a little bit, his greatest moments are just that that much greater. But then his bad moments are like. Fitzpatrick. I mean, he'll just go into a rut where he just can't complete passes, uh, interception streak, those kinds of things. So my point is with the Bears, I mean, it's just a matter of is Cutler going to go out and is he going to go on one of those stretches to where he gets hot? And if he is, they got a chance. You know, and they got a chance against anybody, to be really honest, as we learned against the Vikings. But if he doesn't, then it's just a complete mess. And so that's what they're dealing with in Chicago right now. <laughs> that's right. You know what you get when you get a quarterback like uh, like uh, Jay Cutler in your building, where he just he's got the physical tangibles that just blow your mind, and you're like, wow! I mean, it's very rare to see a guy with this kind of arm talent. But then, then again, you got the intangible aspect of it that's like a Jeff George that just doesn't add up. So it becomes this big roller coaster ride of trying to figure out who you are, and they just don't know who they are. But like I said, if he's hot, they're capable. Yeah, the plucky element there, I think, also helps them. John Fox is a guy who prepares his team well. I think when his roster is full, he can put he can put performances out there. When they're depleted, you see the warts. But I think he's a a, a guy that'll keep them even when they're not a good team. Okay, you know, it's not like a, a Browns kind of situation where you might go out and put forty on them, even when you're beating them consistently. And they they'll be there and respectable. They may not 
accumulate wins. But the one thing I've noticed is they are slowly ticking back some of that health on the defensive side. I mean, that's where they've spent. That's where they've invested. That's what they really wanted to improve this offseason. They lost so many bodies. It was like, okay, everything we planned for is not going to now happen. But we'll go into sort of four-minute drill uh, mode here because we've got four <laughs> more games to plow through before Monday night. Let's be quick. We'll go Chargers-Dolphins. I'll go quick antidote on the Chargers. Defense, man, I know it's so easy to sit here and talk about Philip Rivers and how great he's playing, the level he's playing, the way he's distributing it to all these people. I think that Chargers defense gets overlooked. It's, I don't think it's necessarily a top 10 group, but I think they're, they're, they're sneaky okay. They're sneaky okay, and they actually complement uh, what they do offensively decently. And I think they're that one team in the AFC West that where Denver easily draws the attention as the defending champ often does. Oakland's one of the best stories in the NFL from the first half of the season, and teams are willing to sort of still believe that, that it could be uh, a Chiefs thing. They're, they're kind of a team that's always sort of there in the rear view, but they, you can't, can't shake them. <laughs> you know, they're not sexy. But San Diego, because of the defense, I think, as much as, as, much as uh, the offensive proficiency they're having, is someone not to overlook. How about you on the other side, the Dolphins? It's, it's kind of an intriguing matchup there. Oh, the Dolphins. Now they got health on that offensive line, man. J.J. Mm-hmm. run the ball with a vengeance historically. I mean, come on, he had two games to where he rushed for more yards than anybody in the NFL's history, and then he gets his jersey up at Canton. That's what we're talking about here. <laughs> we're talking about an offense that's refound themselves. they got an identity. Tannehill's playing a lot more efficiently. Now he doesn't have to carry the load of the team. What a beautiful thing it is to where you get that running game going because every element of your team benefits, as we've learned with the Cowboys, we've learned with the Raiders. You get that running game going, your defense defends less plays, your quarterback feels less pressure of having to carry the load of the offense on his shoulders, and everybody just seems to play better. That's the Miami Dolphins right now. Yeah, they've got such a unique element there in, in Jarvis Landry. He hasn't been getting much usage in the last couple of weeks. I think they'll take that next step of adding him in. And you got a dynamic player, all of a sudden you got a run game again. Man, that could be something, but uh, good to keep an eye on. Cardinals-Niners. So Cardinals-Niners, uh, kind of a stinker of a game. Not in this – as far as where that division's going. Obviously the Cardinals needs a thing because they're trying to rebuild – what you know, they were trying to rebuild their 2016 season. I think they're st- they're still plucky themselves, and Seattle doesn't look like they're running away with it in the West. Uh, they struggled with the Bills last weekend, so I think there's still enough faith that the Cardinals can keep plugging away here and stay in this thing. Absolutely, but I'll stick with what I think the Cardinals have as core competency. They're the thing that they bring to the the table, and I think it's Bruce Arians' creativity. I, I like week to week his ability to sort of adapt. Uh, Michael Floyd was such a big part of this offense a year ago. John Brown, you know, just, hey, we've got this sh- little mini shot guy who can do these amazing things mm-hmm. that you'll never, you know, you just don't expect. Uh, neither of those guys have been a huge part of the offense this year. It's been it just it's just been super high target games for Larry Fitzgerald Gerald, and J.J. Nelson, who sort of moved into the number two role almost full time. You got a crazy dynamic, unique player in Johnson out of the backfield. And uh, they've found new ways to do it, but they look to be back on track. So I just think sort of the their ability to redirect, and I give leadership a lot of credit there, is kind of what's keeping Arizona in this. And from a week-to-week game planning standpoint, I think gives them a chance. How about on the other side? The, the San Francisco's got one of those unique quarterbacks that seem to get a little bit sort of on track in these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, ideally for them, these guys, and I know they go to huddle, but the same principle goes for any team. They have to be more proficient on third down. They're one of the worst teams on third down. And when 
you're not able to extend drives. You're not able to convert those third downs. I mean, you just keep putting your defense out in the crosshairs, defending more and more plays to where they get worn down. Right now, that defense, they are on, on pace to have the worst rushing defense in the history of the NFL. I mean, that's terrible. Their offense could tremendously help that out. It looked like Kaepernick last week was starting to find his rhythm as they had a couple big plays go for some big yards. Not that they had these nice methodical drives. Again, it doesn't really help your defense. You just got, you know, one play and your drive's three minutes or less <laughs> over 80 yards. And so for them, they got to sustain a drive. They got to win on third down. They have to put themselves in a position to where they're staying on time with the change, where they get into those manageable third down situations. Because right now, Kaepernick is not developed enough to win out of the pocket especially going against this Arizona Cardinal defense. I mean, these guys, they are deceptive. They are pressure-packed in terms of they're going to bring it. They're going to test them when he's in those predictable passing situations, and they got the guys on the back end to do it like the Patrick Petersons of the world. So it'll be interesting to see if they can stay ahead of the chains. If they can, they got a chance. But uh, with Arizona, to me, it's like, where did Carson Palmer go, man? Last year, this guy was like Matt Ryan. He was playing at that level where he's like, man, this guy could be the MVP this year's best year ever. Goes has a little bit of a stinker in the playoffs, comes back this year, it seems like he's still in that same funk. Now, although the bright spot is David Johnson, the most versatile, multidimensional running back we have right now in the game, he's fun to watch, but they have to get something out of Carson Palmer there. He's still in position. That's a weak division this year, believe it or not, uh, to where if you can get hot at the right time, you can come in the back door. Not that I say that you'd win it, but at the least you'd maybe have a chance for an NFL wild card, and that seems like where Arizona is, but that's all contingent on if Carson Palmer could somehow dig himself out of his little funk that he's in right now. So we'll go Steelers boys here quickly. And for me, it's easy. I'm not breaking news here, but the Cowboys have been one of the most uh, interesting stories of the entire first half. You take a team that wasn't terribly highly regarded. You take away its best offensive player and Des Bryant for big chunks of the season. And you're really led to the very near, near top of the NFL by two rookies, which is, I mean, just putting it out there. Obviously the offensive line is exceptional, but I think for me, the best thing those guys bring to the table is the ability to sort of, uh, rise to the occasion with young people, and that's that's so unusual. You know, Cole Beasley is is a vet, but he's not a ten year guy. You know, he's you. They're finding ways and finding targets and finding well, other than Jason Witten, who's played a billion years and goes out and had a hundred yard game a week ago. But they're 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 just being a good football team. I know that sounds so sort of lame at this point, but I've been impressed with how sound they've looked. It's like this this is not what you expect. This is not how it should go with a team that's constructed this way. Uh, with the leadership that's so crazy. I, I'm not a huge Jerry Jones fan, but a guy that's all over the board and a team that hasn't been for for whatever that whatever whatever value you can put it or whatever judgment you can make about that but i think the best thing they bring is steadiness from young people which makes no sense in that game now paired against the steelers what do you see there well the steelers you know they're a team that i mean not everybody they've been like that sexy pick you know the the afc team to knock off the patriots but when Big Ben's been out and he came back too early this last week, you could tell. I mean, he just fully wasn't himself. And as we all know, when you're throwing that ball and you got to get that base set, he just wasn't doing it. The knee was bothering him. But he felt pressure to do that. I mean, it's not like Landry Jones is a guy that Landry Jones, the backup, isn't a guy they feel like they can win with, as history has shown, which begs the question, you know, why do you keep that guy around, to be honest with you. But uh, at the end of it all, I mean, it comes down to Ben and that offense. Can they get back to their – uh, explosive ways is going to be difficult because now they got to rely on their defense, you know, and that's 
to where the defense has to come out and they have to be able to contain the running game of the Dallas Cowboys, and that's going to be the model of any team that faces the Cowboys, is you got to contain that. If you don't, then all of the other elements now are going to be under an immense amount more stress than they would otherwise, and I'm talking about offensively. Now, you're able, now you're, your, your abilities of being able to score points is now limited because you're not going to have as many plays to score those points because they're going to be eating up the clock, talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Your defense, guess what? The, the Steelers right now are the worst. This is, blows my mind. The worst pass rushing team in terms of the sacks. They only have 11 sacks on the year. They haven't been able to get after the quarterback. And, and when, again, if you're not able to contain that running game, that's just going to compound that weakness in their defense that much more because your rushers are going to get tired. You're obviously not even going to be in predictable passing situations. And so it's a, it's a deal where the Steelers right now, they are just really hanging their whole entire success on Ben Roethlisberger and his knee surgically repaired like a couple weeks ago. You know, and, and I mean, not that it was a big surgery. It was more of a clean-out job, but still it takes a bit to, to get your legs back out under you. Right. So it's, it's going to be about Ben. Is Ben going to get back into rhythm? Is he going to be back to himself? If he is, then they, they got a chance. But if not, it's going to be a tough game for him. Uh, we'll look here finally, at least for the before the money games, so the final game, the evening game on Sunday. We got a little ding there in the back. Uh, as Patriots Seahawks, obviously, and it, I'll stick the Patriots. That's that's the team I cover. But I, I would say, as they the thing they bring to the table, the best for themselves now, especially after coming out of the bye week, is unpredictability. And I, I think if I'm a defensive coordinator now, and you know, I've been uh, in a, in an opposing room in that same division with the Jets for a few years, and you, I know the difficulty of having to to plan against them in years where, man, it's tough to figure out where to focus your attention. You know the quarterback's you know, one of the best ever, if not the best ever, but that's sort of a side topic when they're this loaded at the skill positions. You know, I'm interested to see in this game what choices Seattle makes. I feel like cover three, as good as Seattle is with it, and it's sort of their, their lead thing, it doesn't fit well where the Patriots are pretty strong in those seams, and there's a lot of three beaters that you can do if you're great up the seams. So Rob Gronkowski, Martellus Bennett, even Chris Hogan a little bit, or Julian just just doing sort of jerk routes and sitting down in that area between the hook and curl or even making it out to the flat area. You, just, you saw a lot of that in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where you kind of understand the rules that the underneath players have, and you move them across the formation. You get the zone player moving, and you sit, and it helps you sort of avoid a lot of the the not the, the real physical great play that you get from the cornerback position by by Sherman on one side and I think Lane on the other. But I think really what makes the Patriots tough right now is the multitude of options they have. It could be a Garrett Blunt week. Uh, Deion Lewis is now practicing. It's been two weeks in a row. We don't know if he's going to play this weekend. I don't think they necessarily need him to. I'd want that guy a thousand percent healthy. Why risk it? James White's playing at a high level. So. Uh, you know, it's. I would love to sort of be a, be a, be a, you know, a guy sitting in the back of the room listening in on a defensive coordinator meeting for any of these teams that have to face the Patriots on out because just the 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 scheme decisions you make against them, there aren't a lot of right answers. It puts a lot of pressure on you to just execute perfectly, and and a lot of that in probably one-on-one situations. So, looking at the other side of the coin, the Seahawks. There, what, what have you seen from that team? Well, obviously, you got issues running the ball, and there's two reasons why. Thomas Rawls, your top runner, or actually, I should say three. He's been injured. Christian Michaels come in and done an admirable job. He's also banged up, and then the offensive line struggles immensely. But really, the crux of the issue when you talk about the running game has been 
the injuries to Russell Wilson because that's what makes that running game go because of that threat that's there of him doing the read option. We saw it a little bit against the Bills. It was not that they were designed read option plays. His first touchdown was really looking at, at his peripheral at the uh, the crashing defensive end there, Jerry, Jerry Hughes, and he sees him crashing aggressively, and then lo and behold, he, he goes outside. And so, you know, I, I, as long as he's limited the way he is, the limitations that Russell Wilson is dealing with still with mobility just makes him a sit duck. If I'm the doing the Patriots, I'm going to blitz him in the middle. I'm going to make him move, which is counter to when he's healthy. And then I'm going to dare him to beat me with his arm because I don't believe the running game has any teeth to it right now, which it doesn't. And so I'm going to force them. I'm, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to put guys into coverage and make them run the ball into soft boxes and see if they can get away with it, which I don't think they can. But right now, it's, you know, with Seattle playing a complete team like the Patriots, they, and they got to go all the way to the East Coast. This is going to be a tough one for them, and, and they're still ways away from uh, playing at their top-notch level to where they're establishing the run, having that be the basis of their offense, and then having Russell Wilson healthy again. Yeah, and they may get Cam Chancellor back this week. Pete, sound, Pete Carroll sounded hopeful that that would be the case, and uh, Michael Bennett's still not there. Uh, as It's kind of a similar situation, I think, to Denver where – we kind of expect that that's going to be a real strong defense when they're all put back together. But you take away two key pieces, and you know you saw the Bills sort of take a chunk out of them a little bit, even in their place. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. I don't know if it'll it'll be enough in New England. We will see. But have a wonderful weekend, man. Great stuff. I know we took a, tried to bite off a lot there in that show and make it all the yeah. way through the league, but some awesome insight. Have a great weekend, pal. Thanks, bud. You too. Bye bye. That's all for this week's FBF podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. That was Brady Papinga, longtime NFL linebacker and BYU Cougar. Thank you so much for checking out the show. And as always, make sure to check out the Football by Football YouTube page. Check out the website, obviously, at footballbyfootball.com. But go to the Facebook page. All of those things, your patronage is, is huge for us. And we enjoy doing this show for you each and every week. Enjoy those games. Take care, people. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.